Welcome to the Top Gear Magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Okay, so we're here at Ford's uh, 2024 motorsport launch, something a bit new for the uh, for the company, with Jim Farley, the president and CEO, the man tasked with overhauling the company, making it a leader in EVs. That seems to be going pretty well at the moment. But Jim is also a car guy, as you say, in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, is it true your nickname growing up was Jimmy Car Car? <laughs> it was, yes. <laughs> you got me up. Yeah, that was my uh, parents' nickname for me. I always had a model car in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> There's a comedian in the UK called Jimmy Carr. As oh, well. really? Not to be confused with him. Uh, Jimmy Carr. Yeah. I love it. Um, do you mind if I call you that? Yeah, no, no problem. We're <laughs> Whatever good. you like. All right. Um, you also like to go racing in your spare time. I do. Um, tell me a bit about that, um, why it's such a big part of who you are. And is it... Does it make you a better CEO or is it just a way of escaping all the boardroom meetings? No, it's opposite for me. Uh, Racing um, this year, for example, I had a chance to race at the historic Daytona with Adrian Newey with his um, Essex Wire GT40. And I did a bunch of a GT4 IMSA race. I did... um, uh, that was but, professional. You, yes. you turned pro for that. Yeah, that was my, I had to get my professional, um, you know, uh, bronze license. Um, I, I I think it makes me, for me, it makes me a better CEO because I stay connected to car people on the weekend. Um, at the races, I get to talk to a lot of people who are not filtered, who don't tell me what I'm supposed to hear. I hear the direct truth about, you know, their super duty or about a transit van or something that didn't work right at the dealership. Um, I like surrounding myself with car people, um, you know, not not just racing elite, but, you know, everyone. I think it also helps me connect with the passion in the company for designers and chassis engineers and people that really make our cars different because my vision for the company is no generic products. Mm -hmm. And I want everyone to really understand from the top of the company down, we are here to make passion products. And I like being able to connect with the designers and our chassis people and our powertrain people and our racing people at a human level Mm -hmm. because racing is very hard. You wanna win a race, it's really difficult. Um, And it takes a team and you have to be humble. And that racing for a hobby allows me to do that. I also love the experiences I get. I raced at Le Mans at two in the morning in my GT40. How many people get a chance to say that at 200 miles an hour or being a Goodwood, which is a very challenging racetrack for me, probably the most challenging. Um, or zero runoff. Yeah, if you get no runoff. Run, it's a really high-speed track, and I never really get a lot of time in the car. And so I'm like, like go out there and do well. And it's it's a, it's a momentum track, and it's not a modern track. It's a very challenging place. But I love the atmosphere at Goodwood. Um, so I guess I'm a pretty straightforward person that way. I love cars. I love people who love cars. And I love learning. And I love being humbled by the next opportunity and racing does all that for me. And is it your personal passion for racing? Is that one of the driving factors behind 
the sheer volume of motorsport that you're getting involved oh, with. We're, we're here. To, we, it's like a full day program, honestly, like multiple locations. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're learning about these races. You're racing on six out of seven continents yes. around the world. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's pretty wild. Is that driven by Jim Farley? Because no. you're the boss. Actually, I would say the opposite is true with me. Because I race, I know how expensive it is. I know how hard it is. And I am re like, I budget my race every year, my race with my wife. I negotiate every year with my wife. And um, it is like, racing is very expensive. Mm. And so I hate wasting money on racing. So my team came like, hey, we want to do Formula One. I'm like, okay, well, we got to find the smartest way to do Formula One. Let's do a technology exchange and work on the 26 powertrain, not by a team like other companies are trying to do, uh, German companies, American companies. You know, we've done that with Jaguar. We, uh, Jaguar. We, we want to have a different kind of, so for me, I think my racing makes me more difficult when we spend, but also, no doubt about it, I wanna move our brand into passion products. And to do that, to me, why we race is a little different than maybe other CEOs. I don't see it as a marketing expense anymore. The reason why I want to race is because I want to find the next Raptor. <laughs> and I want to find the next GTD. And I know it's out there in the racing world. And Raptor is like a billion dollar business for us now. Um, and I want to be the Porsche of off-road because I think Ford has a unique chance to own it from WRC all the way to Dakar and everything in the middle. And so it's great for a development of new vehicles and derivatives. And also I believe at this point, uh, Mazda and Porsche have shown a business model with driving schools, track days, products, derivatives, uh, that you can actually have sustainable motorsports money. And it's not dependent on a particular executive that it can be a long-term strategy because it's sustainable on itself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so three and a bit years, I think, since you took over a CEO, share prices up. Mm -hmm. You've definitely, you know, recast the company as more tech-led, mm -hmm. um, but without kind of alienating those traditional customers. Yes. Um, but you've definitely stepped up the madness with the kind of, uh, <laughs> with the combustion-engined, Products, you know, a Top Gear, these, these kind of halo products, these are the ones that really get us excited in, mm -hmm. in, in the Top Gear office. F-150 Raptor R, mm -hmm. you talked about the importance of the Raptor mm -hmm. sub-brand. Uh, Mustang GTD, especially mm -hmm. um, poignant today because you're showing us the, just been a Multimatic, mm -hmm. looking at Great. how they build the yep. Mustang GT3 racer. Um, and also the track only Ford GT um, Mark IV. That's another Multimatic project. Um, how important is that stuff? For the brand as a whole, um, there will be people that will look and say, hang on, the company could thrive without these. You can save yourself money. Just talk about the, True. the, the why you do those products and you plow that money into it. And um, when to some people they could be seen as, you know, sideshows or irrelevances. Well, because we're not, because we're not your ordinary car company. Um, we, you know, when I land in Heathrow, I'm gonna go buy fast forwards or yours because we are a passion industry. We do not make shampoo, we make passion products. And when Ford's at our best, uh, uh, Mexico 
or an RS200 or a Sierra Cosworth 500 or fill in the blank around the world. It's every place, Australia, the US, when we're at our best, we make passion products and they take the ordinary day and turn them into something special. Um, and that's our vision, my vision for the company. And we're just gonna do more and more of that because it's good business now and it's big business. But most importantly, it's who the essence of our company is. In the past, Richie per Richard Perry Jones and others kind of awakened as a sub-brand, you know, these fast forwards. To me, outside of work and commercial, which we also own, um, you know, we build Britain with transit. Um, you know, I, I think this is really what makes us different and why we were meant to be on this earth is to make products like Raptor and Raptor R. And yes, some super van 4.2 make zero sense, but you and I were laughing and having a good time. Yeah, you just and drove me around the, um, <laughs> around the racetrack here yeah. in Charlotte. Um, that was good fun. Yeah. Yeah, and the tires were a little cold to start with. But, <laughs> just, then sorry. but, but I, well, um, I think to go back to your question, I, I, I believe that that is what Ford is uniquely able to do in this industry of modern, and it's not exclusive. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have great EVs or great software-defined vehicles, but I, I want the company to dominate all forms of off-road enthusiasts mm -hmm. and, in every form. And I think we have just as much right to compete and also sell aspirational derivatives of Mustang as Porsche does or Ferrari does. You, you worked for Toyota for a long time. I did. Is, um, do you think, is that the fundamental difference between the two companies that Toyota kind of feels a duty to serve, you know, the average guy that wants mm -hmm. to go a girl that wants to go A to B mm -hmm. and Ford, you're, you're trying to say, look, these are cars you want to buy with your your heart is that mm -hmm. is that the kind of fundamental fork between those two companies yeah because they're in different places yes. quite very different I, I think you know it turns out actually in this transformation of our industry that being a middleweight which we thought was actually a bad thing turns out to be the best thing because if you're vw and toyota you can't pivot quick to software you have 12 brands and you know uh, 60 assembly plants and millions of people it's very hard to pivot we can but i i guess i, I guess I have a podcast that's all about the reawakening, the love of driving. With all this new technology, we still make an emotional product. Uh, and it is about enjoying the product. When I worked at Toyota, you know, we always had a saying, vanilla is the best-selling form of ice cream. Ice cream is a luxury, but vanilla is the most popular flavor. And I really believe that companies should do what it naturally does best. Toyota does Aris's and Yaris's and Corolla's and, you know, those. And yes, they'll have some, you know, performance versions, but that's more for marketing uh, and expanding the audience. For Ford, what we do best is commercial vehicles, Rangers, Transits at all different price points, different sizes. And we do really great emotional products. And I believe that's the wheelbase we should stay in. And if we do that really diligently and connected to things like racing, we're just going to get more and more successful. Uh, Porsche is the fourth best, uh, most valued car company in the globe. Mm -hmm. and they have a rear engine air-cooled, you know, um, uh, kind of uh, philosophy, yeah. which is like they went left. Uh, and I think there's something to be said in this day and age with everything going digital and partially or fully electric, that there are companies like Ford that are for the everyday working person, 
and for the ultimate in passion. And on the subject of passion, I've got to get this question in while I'm here with you. The Ford GT, um, is there an appetite? Do you have an appetite to make another one of them? Does a, does a next-gen Ford GT, whenever that could or would arrive, does it have to be all electric? Mm. Or is that disrespecting the past? How do you see I think, it? I think nature and consumers are kind of telling us something about this electric versus... You know, I, I was at uh, some car show, I remember, and I went through the, the was it Ryan, Ryak? I, I can't remember. There was a Koenigsegg and a couple other, and there was an all-electric supercar. And, like, the Koenigsegg was, like, crowded. My kid was over at Pagani, and, and then we went over to this other one, and it was, like, the one there. And it's, like, faster, and it's, and it's cool, you know, it's cooler. Mm. I, I think the market is telling us the partial electric is really the way to go on the very, very high end. Mm -hmm. That you can still get all the benefits of, you know, um, the acceleration, but but you know, they're not as much limits. They're, and and as far as another GT, look, what we want to do with the company is connect the our investment in racing to actually derivatives customers can buy. And we get more turned on by having a GTD or a dark horse Mustang than we are a prototype car. Mm -hmm. We could, Ford could do 10 prototype cars, McLaren, uh, you name the companies, we could do all those. But that's not what really turns us on in the end of the day. Would we do that? I, I'm not gonna say no to that, but that's not really what gets our motor going. What, what gets us going now is to make vehicles that people can buy and cherish and go to a car show and talk about, not things that are in a collection gathering dust. Um, and that that it right now is GTD and Raptor R's. We, we sell a lot of vehicles that aren't street legal, uh, like the Bronco DR. Mm -hmm. um, we're really into that kind of more and more people buying vehicles that, that they don't even use on the road for track days or whatever. That's what turns us on right now. All right, well, Back down to earth then, Ford of Europe. Um, so we've lost the Focus, the Fiesta, the Echo Sport. Mm -hmm. The Focus and the Fiesta hasn't really gone down that well in the UK. Mm -hmm. now, they're really emotional project uh, uh, um, cars for, for mm -hmm. people going right back to their childhoods and everyone's got this emotional connection. Yes. Um, you know, you're basically halving your market coverage in terms of the models and, and, and then you've got, you know, the, the new Explorer and a coupe version of that Explorer mm. that, are, that are based on VW technology. Um, so other, other companies, VW, Toyota, Hyundai, Peugeot, they have this, the, you know, this full range of cars that covers all the way from small cars. Um, wh why can't you make a profit on the full range like these other companies? And why are you shrinking down and losing these iconic products? Well, I mean, we're not going to be successful if we don't have a sustainable business. We can't just ship cash from Dearborn to Europe and say, you know, hey, it's just an investment in the future. I, you know, I'm, you know, this is an ongoing, people invest in the company, it has a sustainable future. And the competitive dynamics in Europe right now are unprecedented. Since Brexit, the pound has lost a lot of its currency value. Um, and so vehicles built in outside of Europe imported in, in, into Britain are very expensive now. Um, and so we have to be really smart about our business. We are dominant in the commercial business. Um, but we also was a best-selling car in Britain with Puma. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people overlooked the success of Puma. I'm really proud of Puma because actually it was a Brit who was the chief engineer of that product. And it's a Fiesta-based vehicle that's like a mini Macan. And we have electric version and a multi-energy version and an ice version. And it's been very successful. Those are the kind of vehicles that we're excited about. Um, and that's why we raced WRC with Puma. Um, we're very excited about Transit and Ranger. And I would bet if you ask those customers, they're as proud of those Fords as they are maybe of a Fiesta Focus from your parents or your grandparents that really loved those uh, iconic Fords. But we're going to change in Europe. We're not going to just do things because we did them in the past. We are going to have a sustainable business, but we are going to have passion products too. You know, Mustang GTD, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Raptor, um, uh, Raptor Rangers are really important. Um, And so I I guess our brand is just changing in Europe and especially in the UK where we're such an iconic brand, but we're going to have passenger cars. They just happen to be all electric or Puma. Um, They may not be those great nameplates that we all loved. I loved it when I was at a Ford of Europe. Um, but we have to be sustainable. Basically, I just want another Fiesta ST. It's really simple. <laughs> Me too. I'm, just, I'm basically Me too. beating around the bush. Yeah. I just want more okay, Fiesta STs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for being so clear about that. Um, um, yeah, I mean, you never say never. Um, you know, I think Fiesta ST was one of the most glorious achievements by the company. Yeah. One of the one of the only cars to win two Top Gear Car of the Years um, in different generations. Um, Cracking car. Yep. Focusing in on EV. So I've heard you talk about this um, this innings kind mm-hmm. of analogy. Yeah. So, so the first innings being, you know, leveraging your iconic nameplate. So yes. electrify F-150, Mustang with the Mackie, yep. the Transit. Yes. Um, so I assume innings two is what's what's coming now, what's yes. coming around the corner. Yes, good question. So what's, what's, what's different? What's, what's happening differently in innings two and then... Uh, Talk to me about innings three, four, five, six, okay. seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I think people are going to be really surprised, frankly. Inning two is a new generation of products that have to make money. And they're highly informed by a radical new approach on aerodynamics. Um, because the aerodynamics will help us radically shrink the battery size. And right now, the whole EV transition is all about cost. So we got to get that battery cost way down. And to do that... That's one of the reasons why we invested in Formula One, to, to get Adrian and people like that who know Aero so well uh, into our production cars. Um, a lot like the 60s and 70s when there was transfer uh, for valve per cylinder and stuff. It's just now it's Aero and telemetry and, and other things. Um, so I, I think people will be very surprised by the vehicle execution. They'll be very different than our f- first generation, um, and they'll be designed extremely differently with like 30% labor content, less labor content, you know, 50% less fasteners. Uh, the wiring harness will be, you know, two kilometers uh, smaller, uh, shorter than the current vehicles. The batteries will be 30 or 40% less size because of the aero. They won't look like traditional Fords because they can't look because mm-hmm. the air won't allow us to and make money. Um, and they may even be retailed differently. Uh, to get the cost down, to really compete, because what you're seeing in Europe is the emergence of the Chinese, mm-hmm. the MGs of the world, SAIC. These are great world-class companies. 
BYD just B- just just overtook Tesla. There you go. Yeah, it's the number one EV seller in the world. I mean, do, do you see it? As, do you see the Chinese as a as a threat? Um, how do you, you know, tell us how you after 122 comp- years? Bring it on. There's just another <laughs> one. We faced competition around the world for 120 years, and now the Chinese have become the best uh, the best exporters in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, first quarter last year, they passed the South Korean and Japanese to be the number one exporter of vehicles. They're now 25% of all Mexican vehicles sold. In Russia, I think they're more than 50%. In Europe now, uh, the 13% market share of all EVs are Chinese brands. So, uh, no, that happened like a long time ago. Now it's happening outside of China. (laughs) And, you know, that's why I'm saying our approach for second generation has to compete globally with the Chinese and the South Korean as we think the strongest competitors. Yeah. Um, And... To do that, we have to design them uh, totally differently with a completely different mindset. But we also have to give customers options on partial electric. And we've made a lot of breakthroughs like Pro Power on board, which we're going to be bringing to Ranger, which is exportable power using a hybrid system, which a lot of people are very uh, excited about here in America. And I think around the world they will be. Um, so, And then there's a third generation. And the third generation, we, we actually are developing in parallel with the second generation, but with a, um, a Skunk Works team. And that's all I'll say. And it's a, the biggest, I'd say the biggest challenger project other than winning Le Mans for us uh, in the company, which is a small group of people who would normally take 2,000 th- 2, people to do this kind of platform work, and they are really going after beating BYD. Yeah. And that's gonna be an exciting project. Wow. Last couple of questions. Um, more sort of cerebral, sort of thought, thought-provoking questions here. So Elon Musk always said that his purpose um, was to advance the, the the uptake of the electric car by about five years. I, I think if I got the quote quote right, which is which is a very worthy thing. Mm-hmm. How much of your plan, your overall plan for the company, but specifically EVs, is driven by returning value to the shareholders, maximizing profits, and how much is a genuine desire to leave this planet in a better better condition than we found it for our kids? I think, you know, Ford, again, is a different company. It's a family company. Um, We've only had four family members, including Henry Ford, lead the company. Um, we're, we're, We're 120 years old, but we've been through wars and everything. We've seen it all. And from my perspective, um, you know, Bill Ford has always been, um, you know, protector of the environment. And I think it's not mutually exclusive. I guess what I would say is our view is a bit different. We're, we're purpose is to democratize technology. That means our job has always been to bring the fiesta to the masses or bring electric cars to everyone or to fund to everyone or working vehicles to everyone. And so our role is not just to advance the adoption of electrification, it's to bring it into an emotional segment. And our job is to make sure that it is embraced by lots of people, not just exclusive people or tech forward people. Um, and to do that, I think we need to think about the product differently than a Tesla would. Mm-hmm. And you will see that in our second and third generation, they'll be executed very differently. We, we are not gonna be an appliance. Um, that is not our, it's never been when Ford's at our best. When Ford's at our best, we don't make commodity products. 
Okay. Quick fire round. Best bit about your job, worst bit about your job. The best bit about my job. Don't say podcast interviews with with UK journalists. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The best part of my job is to serve Ford. Um, I just, my father, grandfather was a factory worker. We had nothing. He was an orphan from Michigan. Um, Without Ford, none of us would have gotten to college. My mom wouldn't have gotten to college. Um, I just want to give the same opportunity for millions of people around the world through this thing called Ford. Uh, that, that's, that's the best part of my job is to see other people grow and the company do well, um, which allows that. The worst part of my job is uh, firing people. Oh. There is nothing worse as a leader when you have to restructure Europe and, you know, Fiesta is just not going to work because of global competition or there's subsidies from China that you can't compete with or we have no home market with no government helping us in Germany or, you know, and, and, and there's no option. You have to just shut the plant down and leave the segment. It is absolutely awful. I will not get sleep for weeks. It's on my guilt for the rest of my life. All those families get affected like my family. Um, and I hate it. I hate it more than anything. But it's my job because I have to build a sustainable company. Well, I seem to have crafted that so we end on a bit of a downer there. But it's honestly, um, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time Thank you. for this. Racing driver, um, podcaster. You've got your own podcast. I do, yeah. I mean, how, on, cars. how on earth do you find the time to do this stuff? It's my life. I mean, I'm a pretty simple guy, honestly. I just yeah. uh, work on cars. But I have to say, Top Gear, the magazine, the show, you know, I lived in the UK for seven years. I adore what you guys do. Not because you're here, but because I really do. My son went to Top Gear with John Hennessy when he did a show there. And my son is still a car person because of that event. We love Top Gear. We love your irreverence. Uh, we love what you do to our industry that you continue to spark the love of motoring for the sheer joy of it, um, which in this digital age seems to be something that's lacking in my personal opinion. And I'm, I'm privileged to meet you. Well, thank you, that's very kind words. Uh, you keep making those passion, passion cars and we'll keep being passionate about them. Perfect, Thanks, perfect, Jim. you got it, thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jack says, subscribe. Subscribe.